I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844-COSENTIX. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. And congregation, it's your girl Lacey Mosley, aka Scam Goddess, back with another installment of Scam Goddess, the podcast all about robbery, fraud, scams, those who practice it. Sometimes we love them, sometimes we hate them. I don't know, we're gonna figure out on the ride. Uh, congregation, parasocial girlies, I'm very what? Yes, I'm very excited, y'all. Thrilled, elated. Y'all have no fucking idea. We have never done a podcast episode like this before, and I'm so fucking lit for this ride like you guys don't even understand today we have an amazing documentary filmmaker producer and cinematographer on the show he's directed and starred in the huge hit hbo documentary telemarketers yes get into it he exposes the insanity and ridiculousness of telemarketing and the major scam behind the civic development group most recently with the successes of his documentary which is so fucking good i loved it y'all there is a movement in the u.s senate to push legislative effort to combat telemarketing calls online scams and other fraudulent schemes we're getting after the scammers congregation please welcome sam lipman stern to the show hi sam hey thanks so much for having me i really appreciate it i'm glad i can curse too Oh, because yeah. i speak like a sailor so. <laughs> same i have the worst mouth I've, I've honestly worn my mom up to me cursing around her like i can't do it too much but sometimes i'll be like that was fucking and now i'm like huh you gonna you gonna get mad <laughs> my mom's the same way she still she still treats me like i'm a child when i curse around her she's just like yes Hey, hey, watch it, watch it. Watch right, it. she'll let me have a little bit. She'll let me go a little bit, but then she'll be like, okay, now you're tripping. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but no, I love to curse. They say it releases stress. It does, Just yeah. Just fuck, fuck. Yeah. And I'm like, woo, fuck, it does. Fuck, fuck, yeah. Yes. It does scare people sometimes, though. <laughs> well, especially coming from Jersey, I think um, it's, I don't know, a lot of, I, I can't say for all Jersey folk, but coming from New Jersey, I definitely have a, a, a you know, a bad mouth this is how i grew up that's how every like listen that's the vibes and like my mom was cussing all the time so like i was like girl where you where you think i learned all these spicy words but i remember one time i got too comfortable i was in school and um i got in the car and my mom was like do you know like i guess a package came or something and she was like do you know where this package came from and i was in miami so i was just like hell if i know and like just it flew out of my mouth and i was like uh, uh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> now, wait, Sam. I promised one of my dear friends that I would ask you this question. So I'm going to ask you okay. this question. Okay, so my friend Dana Labosco is from Jersey, and she wanted to know if you knew any of her cousins. <laughs> What's her last name? Labosco? <laughs> Possibly. I feel like we, all Jersey people, there's like, um, you know, ever heard of, what is it, the, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon? Yeah. There's like the, the three degrees of Jersey? Yes. So I, I may, I may. And listen, I talk cash shit about Jersey. I'm going to be nice to Jersey today because you're here, Sam. But normally, I talk shit about Jersey, too. It's, <laughs> you know it's the armpit of America. It really is. <laughs> They're going to be really, my ass for that. It really is. It is the armpit of America. But uh, <laughs> but the people that are able to grow up there, I feel like we, there is a Jersey strong, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. That turnpike you know? energy. Yeah, y'all got yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with it. So we always ask on this podcast, Sam, what is your relationship to scams? Do you love them? Do you hate them? Like, have you ever ran any? Like, what? Like, it could be anything. And I know we're I know we're going to get to telemarketers, and that's going to be a wild ride. But, yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up with hippies. My, my parents are, mm-hmm. are total hippies, like peace and love. We were the only hippie family in the area. But we were, my parents were not, were, were very anti-materialism, anti-kind of consumerism. But I, I don't, you know, I, I was a, I was always hustling. I don't know yeah. what it was, I guess, because we didn't really have much. So I was, I just had a, in my genetics or in my whatever, my, my, my grandfather was always selling stuff too. Because um, you were a child with a job, correct? I was a child with a job. But, <laughs> Those are my favorite for, type of children. Employed ones. <laughs> I, I always, yeah. But I used to sell um, fake bootleg Rolexes. What? I would I would buy <laughs> I would buy Rolexes in uh, in Chinatown on Canal mm-hmm. Street in New York City. Behind the brick wall. Yeah, just all, all yeah. You know, have you ever been over there? Yeah, yeah. You know, they yeah, yeah, yeah. Wall up and it's like purses and shit and all that yes, there. I love yes, it. Yes, this has been going on a long time. The yes. bootleg culture in Chinatown. So I used to. I was probably like nine years old or ten years old, and I would buy nine. Um, yeah, I would buy the Sam. Oh my I, god! I would buy the uh, <laughs> the fake Rolexes for like ten bucks, and I would sell them in school. When I, you know, I would sell them to the kids in the neighborhood, uh, sell them in school. So I would always sell stuff. I remember I also used to sell Echo shirts. Oh, I remember. I had this Echo. hustle with Echo shirts. Oh my goodness. I, Damn, that's I the got, blackest hustle. You were selling Echo shirts. Yeah, Checo. I was <laughs> selling Echo shirts. I, I used to go to a flea market in New Jersey called the English Town Flea Market. And me and my buddy, we were like 15. And um, they had all these Echo shirts. They weren't bootlegs. They were like seconds or thirds. So it was like they might have like a red dot on them or like a little misprint. It was like, But Echo. we would buy them. We would buy them for like <laughs> two bucks. They had all the tags. And we'd sell them for, you know... Uh, was it, um, you know, two for 20? Oh, that's a good flip. Okay, with the echo. Now, wait, I have one question about this. Um, so you were selling all this stuff. Your parents, you said, were not into material. And so how did you become, like, hustle, hustle man? Well, basically, I, I don't... Well, what I, drew you so to I get, it? I, I grew up in, you know, in kind of like a... I, wouldn't, I, I, was, I grew up in like a lower middle class neighborhood. So, like, yeah. everyone was always just selling stuff in that area it was like apartment complex land which is very central new jersey i mean new jersey is like the most uh populated state so it's like the most densely densely populated state so i grew up you know you would have so many different people living in that neighborhood like 
you know, downstairs, you'd have someone from, you know, Colombia, right next door, you have someone from China on the left, you have someone from Italy, it was like all immigrants, and uh, from all over the world, really diverse. Uh, and then, you know, this one, like, Jewish hippie family, which was my family. <laughs> but uh, everyone, we would all, everyone was always selling stuff like bicycle parts and <laughs> stolen bikes parts, over there. And I don't know. It was pretty wild. Over you want a wheel? Uh, I got Pacific. handlebars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was selling bike parts too. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I think it was just, I don't know. I was just always drawn to it. I loved the whole buy low, sell high. Yeah, no, <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm a, I'm a hustler, so I love it. Like I got six jobs. I'm a Jamaican. Lots Wagwan. of respect. Um, yes. but... <laughs> oh, I grew up with Jamaicans too, by the way. So yes. There was a lot of Jamaicans there um, in that area. Come on, be fat. I think yeah, it was it was. I, I love growing up in Central Jer Jersey because you just had so much like inspiration from different cultures. It was awesome. Yeah, I think that really develops you too as a person when you get to learn from like lots of different people. And oh, a thousand so, percent. Yeah, and I've always been like very immersive in like other people's cultures. Um, and I love that. I see those vibes. Okay, last question about this before we get into what's hot and fraud. Um, what did you spend your money on? Like you're a nine year old selling Rolexes, you're a 15 year old flipping echoes. What, what, what are we spending this money on? I used to buy, I would go and get like, I mean, Jersey pizza. You know, buying like was that like slices a of, slice? yeah, I think it was like a dollar slice back then. Like lots of candy, lots of like. Remember those like sugar drinks? They were, I don't know if you remember them, but they were those little these little like uh like different drinks, like grenade like the little grenade yeah the grenade ones, ones. yeah yeah. The grenade yeah. Ones. I've only yeah, had them I, with alcohol at Pride. Somebody be yeah, yeah, on well, the street. <laughs> yes, yes. With I would I would buy those juices and huggies. I'm old, damn, I'm old now, but uh, I used to buy yes, all these like 25 hugies, yep. cent uh, honey buns and things like that. So just like, all right, candy and <laughs> um, and pizza, I guess, which sounds terrible. But I love that you were I working had... like an adult, but you were spending like a child. That is yes. so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about it. We had one more hustle, that, uh, one more, Ooh. I guess, semi-scam, I just remembered. So they used to have this Coca-Cola um, contest where if you open the cap, on the Coca-Cola, and it mm -hmm. said you, you could win a prize under the cap. Yeah, I remember that. So, so me and my group of, like, wild friends, we somehow figured out that if we go to the recycling center, which back then you could just walk into, like, no adult, like, no one was <laughs> overseeing the, you could just go in to the recycling <laughs> center. twist that scam. You, you and the and, recycling center, why is that baby here? We don't know. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and we would just go through all the, the, Coke, the Coke bottles, and we would, we literally had, like, I remember one day we walked in with like 50 of those bottle caps. I guess people weren't actually checking the bottle caps. So we had, mm -hmm. we walked into quick check and we had like 50 free coke. And we were, <laughs> anyway, that was another little, a little childhood. You are a uh, genius. Scam. That is so inventive to think like, let's go to the recycling center. I love that was in your youth. You were just <laughs> like, come on gang, we're going to the let's recycling go. center. Everybody else skipping rocks and, and, and doing kickflips on, on, you know, skateboards. And you're at the recycling center. Like, we were coke. so sugar high that day. It was really, it was really bad. We drank a lot of, and I guess caffeine, a lot of coke. Y'all were hype. Y'all were hype. We were, I love we were, we were hype as fuck. I love the inventism. <laughs> I love that you like come up with all the, like that's, that's the mark of a genius. Like when you're thinking like that, like, and I love that because it's like also scammers you know like um but you used it for good you're recycling and shit and that also uh makes me think of the fact that why don't they do sweepstakes or prizes anymore where's the monopoly game mcdonald's i know yeah. had a big scam but that scam is over 
Help us out. Like, they're, now they're just like, we're going to charge you whatever we want, bitch, and you're going to take it because the economy is falling apart. <laughs> I want, yeah, we got to bring back contests. Yeah. <laughs> we need joy. I would take I popping know. a cap and be like, woohoo, a free Coke. Yeah. Like, help me. I'm sad. Coke, bri- uh, Coca-Cola, bring back the bottle cap yes. competitions. And, and then, and, and yeah, bring back the bottle cap. Because they went very influencer for a little bit. And they were like, oh, you could get a Coca-Cola with your name on it and take a picture. So you give us free engagement. It's like, no, give me a free Coke, bitch. Okay, yeah. I deserve it. I want free stuff. Life is hard. Give me a free Coke. Give me a yeah. Monopoly piece. Like, the dollar menu ain't dollaring no more. Like, help us out. Like, please. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into our next segment here, What's Hot and Fraud. This is where we warn our listeners about popping frauds in the zeitgeist. And more often than not these days, we get a letter from our listeners. As y'all know, snitch on your friends, your enemies, your family, everybody at scamgoddesspod at gmail.com. Just make sure the scam is retired because we don't want to what? Yes. Fuck up your bag. Amen. (laughs) So so I just need a fake name. Gender is a construct. It doesn't matter from you, Sam. Whatever fake name you want to give me. Yeah, Fred. Fred. I like Fred. I like a Frederick. Uh, Fred yeah, Fred, let's go with Frederick. How about that? Let's go Frederick. with Frederick. Yes. Yeah. So Frederick says, Hi, Lacey. I'm going to get, I'm gonna, I'm just going to dive right into it. See the flowers at the end. Oh, you'd be listening to the show. I love you, Frederick, already. So Frederick says, A few years ago, after I graduated college, I moved from a small town in the Midwest to New York City to pursue a master's degree in media scoring. Now, the school itself was a huge scam. So after my first semester there, I was actively looking for a way out. So one day... One of my faculty members came up to me and said, hey, I think there may be a position on a project that my friend is working on that might be good for you. Obviously, I'm intrigued. I asked about it. She told me that the main composer was looking for an orchestral assistant, which should have been my first red flag because that isn't a real position. Yeah, I don't know what an orchestral assistant is. You, you hold the little pointy stick for for him or something? <laughs> I, pers- I don't know anything about that kind of stuff, but I, that, that sounds about right. Right. I'm like, what are you, you carrying the <laughs> I'll drums? Take it. Right. You bring the violin. What is an orchestral assistant? You fix the chairs? Sure. I, I don't, first chair? I don't know. So that's... That should have been the first red flag Frederick says because it's not a real position. What okay. it came down to was that I be a composer's assistant, the orchestrator, and the copy copyist all rolled into one. So this is not my lane. I don't know about the work. I know they got first chair and the girls be fighting for it. Um, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I know less. I know less. But I felt but I, but as as uh, someone who likes scams, I think we can help. Right. Maybe we can help here. So it says, I figured it would be a lot of work, but I was happy to do the job of three people in order to get out of grad school and launch my career. And that's how they get us in America. Because, like, even with these layoffs and shit, it's like, oh, if you don't get laid off, they're like, yeah, you didn't get laid off, but now you got six jobs. But we're going to pay you to Yep. Sell. Yes. <laughs> and you're going to be grateful that you're still employed. Totally. So, uh, so after a few interviews over, in all caps, Facebook video chat second red flag. Yes. I was hired and given an offer of a $250,000 salary. That's Honestly, pretty good. Yeah, that's good as hell. <laughs> <laughs> like, shit. I'm yeah. in. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> what I gotta do? I carry the pointy stick? What, what we Me doing? Me too. <laughs> Let's go. Let's get into the orchestra business. Right. Let's get into the orchestra business. Listen, <laughs> let me get my um sheet music. I got y'all. Yeah. What are we doing? Beethoven? Let's go. <laughs> so, um, Honestly, in the moment, I was just happy that my dreams of working in film were coming true. So I was blind to all these warning signs. I ended up dropping out of college so I could focus 100% on the project. So now they've oh, dropped no. out of school over a face for Ooh. a fake job 
over a Facebook video chat messenger. I just feel like employers, if you tell me to hop on Facebook, then are you really trying to hire me? What's going on? My my red flag bells are just going off as I'm hearing this. <laughs> yes. So, and I mean, you have experience in a job that turns out to be a scam. Yeah, exactly. That's, and that's where I learned. <laughs> it's too good to be true. So about after four months of delays, we finally started working in an actual studio. However, I found this confusing as the film wasn't even made yet. I guess we were just making music before the film. And then later we would edit it to fit the film. Usually unless the music is an integral part of the project, like filmed, musical, or whatever, music is one of the last steps in production. So this is the third red flag, which makes sense because how you going... Like, what if you, like, were scoring Moonlight and you made all these, like, doot, 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 like, happy-ass <laughs> tunes and then the movie's, like, sad as fuck, like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nicholas Bertel's just doing his thing before before he knows what's going on. Like, oh, I'd like to see died. that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we can put in a wah-wah. Does that help? <laughs> like, when they die? Is that help? <laughs> like, yeah, so this is weird. <laughs> So after two weeks of hard work, I was looking forward to my first paycheck, $10,000 for the first week of production and another $10,000 starting bonus to account for the four months of delays. I had been oh, living off of student loans and ramen noodles. No, not Sally Mae. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sally and ramen. So up to that point, I was hurting bad for that money, but it never came. It turns out the composer, who was also an executive producer in quotes, never had any money to pay us or the studio space from the start. So you ain't paying nobody, not even the studio. Wow. Studios are expensive. Did you work like in a studio ever when you were doing voiceover for your documentary? I, I We did a little bit. Yeah, I did work in a studio. It was like a nice At one? The, yeah, it was really nice. Yeah. yeah. What city did you do it? Did you do it in Jersey or in New York? In New York. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. expensive. Studio time is crazy. So it's like, which it was is expensive? Really? Yeah. It was. I mean, I don't know the. I don't know the prices of it because you know I just have to go in and do my job. But th- right. I will say there were lots of free snacks, which I took <laughs> full advantage of as a scammer. <laughs> you just walked out with the basket. No, I'm taking. Oh, the I, basket well, I definitely. Too. Yeah, I definitely pocketed some some snacks on the way out for sure. As you should. You leave it with something. This hell. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Oh, so but, orchestra yeah. assistants, I guess we pulled this up. They're responsible for assisting the orchestra manager. The responsibilities are like dealing with any problems that arise with the orchestra, late arrival of instruments to an auditorium, a musician becoming <laughs> ill and needing a replacement. So they're, basically they're just like the manager. They're like keeping things flowing. That makes sense. Yeah. So this was this person's job. Frederick was like the manager of a very unpaid and broke ass um, position. So he was using, we had done two weeks of work for free, Frederick says. After that, he almost completely disappeared off the face of the planet. He was hard to reach by phone, and every month he'd hold an update meeting about where the funds would be. Oh, God. (laughs) And after January of last year, (laughs) contact stopped altogether. No. (laughs) Not an update on where my money is. Oh, God. Not a UPS tracking number on my money. Give me my money. Oh, <laughs> so God. your money is at the center now. It's being handled. Oh, man. Your money's out for delivery. No. So now I want to <laughs> sue for my unpaid wages, except for the fact that I didn't realize that I didn't have a single copy of the paperwork with both of our signatures on it. So all I had were sheets of paper where I agreed to work for them, but nothing with the composer agreeing at all. So the composer never signed his name. So basically he's like, I never saw it. it oh, wow. Me. That is so messed up. Yeah, that's really messed up. You're messing I, with people's dreams here, scammers. Yes. Uh, this person dropped Not out of nice. school. 
So thankfully, a lot of financial struggling, I'm, I'm back on my feet again. I wouldn't be here without the support of my friends, my family, my awesome partner, and 2.5 years of climbing the music ladder here. I'm finally having my first East Coast premiere of a piece that I wrote. Just remember, though, if it's too good to be true, it probably is, and you should get the fuck out of there as soon as you can. Uh, yes. I know that's right. Yeah. Like, oh, and then I'm reading the nice things down here. This is very sweet, Frederick. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Finding the perfect t-shirt has always had me like Goldilocks. Trying on shirts. This one's too hard. This one's too soft. And it fell apart because y'all know I got it from a cheap website. And this t-shirt from Skims is just right. From fit to quality, it is one of my, like, these are my favorite t-shirts. I have three different ones. Y'all know I love me an Onyx because I'm going to be wearing black all the time. Um, They have a cotton long sleeve jersey tee that I really like too because the material is so soft. But when I put it in the washer, she don't have a whole transformation or makeover. It's not move that bus when I take it out. She looks the way that she looked when I put her in. And we know we cannot say that for all t-shirts, okay? So you can have staple t-shirts that you can make Mix and match and wear up or down. Maybe we're going to a fancy night out. Maybe we're going on a date. Maybe we're lounging around the house. I love these shirts so much because I can do so many different things with them. It's like, I'm telling y'all, Skims, they doing it right over there. I got on their underwear right now. I can't give it up. I think they got me, y'all. I'm not even playing. Shop the Skims t-shirt shop at skims.com. Now available in sizes extra, extra small to 4X. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know I sent you. After you place your order, select Scam Goddess in the survey and select my show in the drop-down menu that follows. Let's get into the meat. Historic Hoodwinks. This is where we regale our audience with a famous con caper group of criminals and we'll see how it shakes out. Maybe we love them, maybe we hate them. This is different because Sam lived this. So... <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna proceed. I don't. I'm. I'm kind of nervous, Sam, um, because I've never had a, like someone who lived the scam on. So I'm. Very oh, well, I'm, I'm honored to be here for the first yeah. one. That's, it's that's thrilling. Pretty, appreciate you. So, uh, telemarketing has been a service utilized by business since the 19th century. It allows people to sell products, subscriptions, or services to prospective customers. Since the use of computers became more common than the switchboard operators, companies such as Civic Development Group have used the practice for fraudulent means. Mm. So the beginning yeah. of CDG, we're going to give a little history here. The CDG was founded in the 90s, like 1990s. Its model was simple. Employees of the telemarketing company made calls on behalf of nonprofits and charities to solicit donations from citizens. The company was owned by Steve Pash and Mark Kieser and ran by their brothers, David Kieser and Brian Pash and Glenn Pash. Uh, fun fact, one of the brothers, Steve Pash, was in a Christian rock band. And I have heard I have heard the Christian rock band movies or music, like Three Crosses. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the 90s with Anthony Krizian of the Spin Doctors. So now, Sam, how did you feel when you found out the head of this company uh, were goofy as hell? Like, how did you feel when you found out they were so goofy? I loved it. <laughs> Have you ever met them? I, I loved it. I thought it was so ridiculous. I mean, here these guys were, you know, essentially, you know, scamming hundreds of millions of dollars in the name of uh, the police and other charities. And, you know, they used, a, I don't know how much of that, but, you know, a, a decent amount of that money to try to fund their rock careers. One, one, there was two rock careers. One was a Christian rock band. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was, was another band called the Jay Henry band. Um, and this guy, Jay Henry, it was, it was uh, another brother and he was just, terrible i mean it was uh, i'm a very i'm a generous uh, an, uh type of person and no but this is it's just tough to listen to it's really bad not um, tough to listen to <laughs> it's tough to listen to so, Painful. but i thought it was great i thought it was hilarious wait i have to ask which which band okay so you, the three crosses is better than you you i would say yeah 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 the three crosses is you know it's i very ironic that it's christian rock because you know they're 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 doing non-godly things like yes crime. yes and then the other one was just a kind of a a bruce springsteen wannabe oh, no. kind of hard rock uh band le led by this scott pash called jay henry and it's just real bad and he spent a lot of money on that career i i heard he he got he paid to to open up on uh or to perform on in carnegie hall in New what? York while I was telemarketing. And, uh, yeah. No, he was so. using the call coins to pay for his own concert. Oh, yes. man. And uh, 250, I think it was a, a $200,000 or $250,000 guitar oh collection when the company finally uh, did get shut down. I heard about that. They had a lot of expensive shit, a lot of homes. Like, they, oh, my goodness. First, I have to ask you. How did you, because I know you were young when you started the, like working at the telemarketing place. What drew you to it? Did you see an ad? Did you walk by? What, what, what happened? Good question. So I was, um, <clears throat> I was in ninth grade. I was 14 mm -hmm. and um, I, I just hated school. I didn't want to go to school anymore. So I started mm -hmm. taking off Mondays. So I just wouldn't show up on Monday. <laughs> so I do a three-day weekend. <laughs> yeah. Take Mondays <laughs> off of school. <laughs> so I would, I would do uh, three day weekends for a while, and then I just I decided I'm like I I can't do this anymore. Like I couldn't I couldn't do school anymore. So I, I told my parents that I was going to leave school and basically drop out. And again, they're they're hippies, and they were pretty. You know, they're like, look, you can leave, but you got to get a job. That was their. You got to get a job, and you got to get your GD. Those were the two things. So if I'm gonna if you're gonna leave school, job GD. I kind of love. So that. I left. I, I, yeah, I left school. And I went to look for a job. So I went to Burger King and McDonald's first. Mm. They both told me I was too young. This is like 2001, right now after 9 11. The, the kids yeah, probably, yeah, for the mines. Totally. <laughs> They're like, you're too young, can't work here. Um, I told a good friend of mine who was, I think, 15 or 16 that I was having trouble finding a job. And he <laughs> told me, dude, I got you. I work at this call center. In New Brunswick, New Jersey, I swear they'll hire you. you. You're good. So I went with them. I remember riding my bike across from oh, Highland dude. Park, New Jersey, where I grew up, into New Brunswick, where uh, Rutgers University is. It's most How known far for is Rutgers. That? It's like a 10-minute, 15-minute bike ride okay. from my house. And uh, 
I went into the office. Um, the managers had me read the script and they hired me right away. And I started the next day at 14 years old and <laughs> I ended up working there for seven years. Wow. Off and on. So I would, I so would work for, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I was 22 when I left. Mm -hmm. It was like, two, or it was late 2009. Um, and it was a wild, insane job. So when you read the script, it's like an audition. Like they just had you read it in front of them. Yeah, I think, yeah, they just had me read it in front of them. And, and at that point, I had no idea what the job was at all. I just knew, okay, it's something on the phone, some kind of telemarketing job. Right. Um, but once I started, um, basically the idea was to teach the, teach my, they, the managers taught me how to sound like a cop. Oh, shit. So like, how does a cop sound in like a 1950s cartoon? That was the idea because we were, we were raising money for police organizations and charities over the phone and calling citizens, citizens all around the country. So our job as a caller was how do you sound like the idea of what a cop sounds like? So like my hello, I uh, Sam Lippin Stern calling on behalf of the the New Jersey Fraternal Order of Police. Uh, good afternoon and God bless. You know, like that kind of. Uh, they they teach you how to sound like a like a, a cop. Wow! And, and had your voice dropped by then? Did you? My have voice a... had not fully dropped. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was like almost it was dropped, but not the, where as deep as it is You're now. But it was this little baby it was dropped voice enough. Like I'm calling from the police. Bring yeah. me the money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that was the job. It was a raise donation. Yes, for um these organizations, and, and we're gonna get into that even further. But so they wrote these scripts, right? The calls consisted yeah. of making pitches to local civilians, like you said, to donate a num to a number of charities and nonprofits. In the beginning of the money that was donated was like, like what, 10% actually went to the destination of the callers that they like thought they were donating to, right? So in the beginning, so, yeah. it was like 10%. It was, it was a nine, so it was a 90-10 split. So the so company insane. would keep 90% of the donations and they'd give the police organization or other charity on average 10% of the money. So it was like a kickback for using their name. As, yeah, basically that was the idea. It's like, all right, we're, we'll use your name. You don't have to do anything other than Receive loan money. your name and just collect this money. So in order to further convince citizens to donate to the Fraternal Order of Police, donors were told that they would receive sticker decals that would not only show their support, but they could potentially help them get out of a ticket. So the this is the sticker decal. It looks very official. It definitely looks like um, it's some kind of organization. And for me personally, like, I've been thinking about maybe getting one of those uh, thin blue line stickers. I hate the police, but I was like, maybe they'll stay off my ass if I'm like, oh, I love, I love violence from the police as and a black how, person. <laughs> yeah, that's how CDG, Civic Development Group, became the number one uh, fundraising company for police organizations in the United States. I mean, they were, you know, you get, we're, hey, you're going to donate to the police. We'll send you out the sticker put it on the back of your car and it may get you out of a ticket. And that's such a great ruse 
because it like, is, yeah. Because <laughs> then, like, I would donate to that. I hate the fucking police, and I'd be like, put that on the back of my car so they don't pull me over and try to kill yeah. me. You know, like totally. whatever it takes. I've actually gotten out of a ticket because I knew somebody who actually really like probably. I can't say too much, but they, they know the police and the police yeah. them. And so I was on my way to work for them and I cut off a sheriff by accident. And I was like, oh my God, my bad. Like when they pulled me over, I was like, I'm just headed to work. And I told them where I worked and they were like, oh, you know, Jack Johnson. Oh, no, nah, we can't give Jack Johnson's employee a ticket. And they let me go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember I used to say when I remember once I, I grew up as a graffiti writer. So before I got into film, I was always painting graffiti. That was my big passion. I remember when I was like 18, my house got raided for graffiti. No, what and, is that? Uh, raided and I, for graffiti? Raided, yeah, yeah. That's all. <laughs> yep. And um, I remember telling the detectives, I'm like, I work for you guys. What are you doing? Like, I literally call for you for the police all day. And they're just like, <laughs> I don't, what, what are you talking about? Like, they did, They had no idea what, what, what I was talking Damn, about. Damn, so they, you tried to use it and it didn't work? I did. I've tried to use it a couple of times. So they got these sticker decals. And that's how... Like you were saying, CDG got real popping. So Lies employees would tell go grew so extreme that many employees began claiming that the stickers even bought police protection. Did you Correct, ever yeah. say that to someone? Did they tell you to say well, that? Well, I would not do so I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. So I, what I would say is this personally, I would be like, Yeah, I'd be like, uh, okay, we're gonna send you out a new, you know, 2023 <laughs> active supporter decal. Now do me a favor. You put that decal right on the back of your vehicle or the front of your house to show your proud personal support for the police. And all the officers out there will see your support. Like, <laughs> basically, you're, you're, what I would do, I, so, well, the, back in the day before I worked there, people would straight up say they were cops. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's a- <laughs> So it was like super wild west in the 90s. I mean, they'd be like, hey, uh, this is Officer Callahan calling from the local FOP, you know? So, <laughs> Yeah, then they, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> then they had a lawsuit, and and at least the company I worked for, they kind of cracked down on things a little bit. So you wouldn't say you were a cop, but it was like you were kind of trying to say you were a cop without actually saying it. Um, <laughs> You're like, hold on, we got all... a one twelve in progress. <laughs> oh yeah, well, well, you see, yeah, in episode two, we, you know, there's one of the guys that we profile and. Uh, he would use the police scanners in on the on the in yeah. the background, and he was, yeah. Um, so a lot of you know it depended on the company you worked for, but CDG specifically, they went from first they would tell people, have, you know, people would say, yeah, we're, hey, it's uh, you know, officer, you know, Bob, whatever, just and people would make up phone voices too, <laughs> and then when the the first lawsuit they had in the late nineties, and I think it was nineteen ninety eight, they kind of started. Uh, you know, they started um, putting in some some more rules and kind of not. They weren't saying they're were cops anymore on the phone. At least that company. Right. So that's just massaging it now. Like we're not massaging. Saying we're cops. Yeah. We got cop voices. We got scanners in the back. They're like, <laughs> hold on, we got an APB one twelve, and then you just hear somebody get beat with a nightstick. Ow, ow. So, anyways, can you donate to the police? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you still get your sticker. You still get. Sometimes we do a card, a police card for your wallet. Oh, and yeah. or a shield like you'll see them all over New Jersey these gold shields if you spend a lot of money you get a gold shield that is wild and and it's funny to me that we we 
basically militarized the police and given them so much money because that's how they think that we fight crime. But really, it's like we need to help people. There's less crime in areas where people have housing and aren't, you know, suffering on the streets. And it's like, no, we'll give more money to the police so they can beat them up real good. I'm like, no, that's not the answer. Well, that's a big uh, layer to this story because this is like um, historically how, you know, the we our biggest client at CDG was, was the Fraternal Order of Police. That's the mm-hmm. biggest police organization in the world and the biggest police union in the United States. And that was CDG's biggest client was, uh, you know, various um, state lodges of the Fraternal Order of Police. And, you know, they were raising hundreds of millions um, of dollars. And, you know, where was that? They were saying it was going to the family. So what we would say was that the donation would go to help the families of officers killed or injured in the line of duty. Yeah. But what it really went to after we looked into it a lot of it went into you know huge amount went into lobbying right so they were basically using that money for to lobby to keep laws and uh and basically um to keep laws the way they've been Mm -hmm. and we didn't even mention the fact that you know the majority of the callers were you know ex-convicts that were caught up in the prison (laughs) pipeline (laughs) <laughs> Which is so wild. It's so ironic that now they're like raising funds for like their the literal like ops, like the people that yeah. they hate. But it's like it's hard to get a job when you're an ex convict, and that's why like recidivism happens. So it's like they got a job, so they're not gonna. And like speaking of the employees, they were making calls and they made what like ten dollars an hour with quotas, but no commission and extreme pressure to make numbers. Um, yeah, I feel like you were good at this, right? Like I feel like you were really good at this. Like you and Pat, like Pat was really good too, right? Yeah, I mean, we're some of the best callers in the office. Basically, everyone that we interviewed were like the kind of, you know, lifer OG CDG mm-hmm. folks. Um, Pat was one of the best caller. I was one of the best callers there. And yeah, totally. We got really good at it. Yeah. And according to a former manager, uh, this is a quote said, we would allow the guys to do whatever they needed to get through their shift and hit their numbers. So I watched your doc and this is by far the wildest work environment. And I worked at places in the, like in the Hamptons where some of the servers were selling cocaine. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. so I was like, whoa, like. I mean, we'll we'll put this on the Instagram, but um, when I watched this video of the office, I was like, so people are just like lit as fuck, drinking, doing drugs, partying. What was that like, like being there as a child and all these like wild adults? The first time I walked into CDG, I was I was fourteen, you know that, and um, I remember I walked in and there was like all these built dudes, like jack dudes, doing push-ups <laughs> by the water fountain. What? And then. Um, <laughs> I walked in and there's mug shots of the callers on the wall, like like uh, trophies or like badges of honor, like printed out mug shots. Wow. And then you, I remember, uh, you know, there was this one manager came up to me and he pointed at this guy, Mr. Smythe, who's in episode one. He has yeah. uh, and Mr. Smythe is like, he's actually a good friend of mine now. I, uh, I've known him for a long time. Really sweet guy. But he's an eccentric man and he's odd looking. He had these big, bushy eyebrows, very unkempt. And he'd wear like these boots that looked like they'd seen Vietnam War. And the manager pointed to that guy. You know, I'm 14. He points to that guy, to to Mr. Smythe. And he goes, you see that guy over there? One day, I'll bet good money on it. He's going to come in here with an AK-47 and shoot this entire office up. Oh, my God. 
And that was like my first memories. This at, is orientation. Uh, <laughs> that was that was orientation. So I mean, you would. I mean, CDG was wild. I mean, you would see, you know, fights break out. FBI agents pull out callers. I mean, I you'd have a bank robber who actually ended up, you know, being caught robbing banks on your left, and then like a murderer on your right. Um, they were there was a drug, well, multiple drug kingpins, but one in particular that was selling massive, massive amounts of heroin out of the office. I mean, there was wow. prostitution going on. There was, there's one guy that would set, uh, set up a bootleg. Uh, one of the cubicles would just have like bootleg jerseys and DVDs and- uh, <laughs> it was, from a childhood. Yeah. So it's like all of these people are working here, but then they're all doing other jobs. Some of them are slanging coochie. Some of them are slanging heroin. <laughs> they slanging DVDs. Everyone was hustling out of the job so you'd get your 10 bucks an hour, but then you'd also, you know, you'd sell weed or, I mean, you could buy whatever you wanted in there. And, um, it was just, and everyone was on drugs too. I mean, there was, you know, everyone was doing drugs. It was so for, as a 14 year old, for me, it was just kind of like, um, first I thought it was really interesting. Okay. I didn't, I just thought it was, I thought, you know, I was, I was you didn't see the danger. You, know, you saw people I, doing pushups by the water cooler. You was like, yeah, sparkless and, 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 and workouts. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was, you know, I was smoking weed in there too. And, um, I was just, a. I was also a graffiti writer. So for me, I kind of grew up there, right? These mm-hmm. guys saw me and I was an, a high school dropout. So they kind of like, we we're all in the bottom of society and it kind of created this dysfunctional family so everyone really kind of looked after me in a way as like a kid working in this crazy office um it just became my norm you know my days would be my nights would be spent doing graffiti my days are spent calling for police organizations this crazy office so you don't sleep and and it was and yeah no sleep exactly and uh i don't know i just i thought for me it was just really entertaining in a way it was it was Mm -hmm. just so strange and entertaining and at first i thought someone should write a book about it i'm like someone needs to write a book about this place because you couldn't make up these characters and all these really interesting people with such interesting strange backgrounds whether whether you know there was like i remember sometimes there would be you know 20 guys that were just from the halfway house so they'd you know they'd write out of prison you know they'd be in the halfway house they'd come take the train to work call their parole officer and go right back to the halfway house and like all these interesting people sharing their stories. So this is like the office, but like if it was like the, the prison version. Yeah, yeah, basically. Because yeah, the yard is definitely where the sparklers was because they was getting a workout in and then you got fights, yeah. you got people selling bootlegs, so you can buy Pootie Tang <laughs> and, and one pe- person's cubicle. I love this. But I, wait, I have a question. Do you remember like the reason any fight broke out? Like, because I'm yes. like, how big is this <laughs> office? Yeah, okay, yes. The office was... <laughs> pretty big i think you'd have so we had half the office in new brunswick new jersey that was the one that i worked at Mm -hmm. uh was spanish so calling Mm -hmm. spanish and it was it was cut it was um like cut down the middle so half the office was spanish and then the other half was english okay so it's like and um, and then english okay yeah and so i was in the english section and i mean basically the i mean i remember one fight in particular you know one guy had just got out of prison and um one of the managers who was a total asshole and actually ended up becoming a corrections officer after uh civic development group 
Yeah, but this guy was a prick. Like nobody That's liked him. That's what I'm saying. Like, That's why he probably took that job. He was totally. He was like, I have tons he, of practice. I've been to corrections officer, correction officer yeah. at my call center, and now I'm gonna yeah. do it for real. Yeah. Yeah. But this guy was uh, was just yelling at this one caller, and this caller just and he took it for a little bit, but then right in the middle of the shift, I remember he, all of a sudden everyone's dropping their headsets and jumping back because there was like a Looney Tunes style. <laughs> Uh, brawl going like on. Dust, dust cloud, oh yeah, dust and, 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 and yeah, and birds, you know, over their heads. <laughs> this dude was just beating this manager's ass, and so he really beat the shit out of him. He was this guy was fucked up. This manager, um, and he, I, I don't even know if the caller got fired. I think he got sent home <laughs> that day. But there's photos of the manager's face on one of my friend's um, Facebook pages. Oh my god, like old photos. Yeah, so that was one of the one of the many fights. Oh, one more was that the guy that would sell uh, bootlegs in mm-hmm. his cubicle, he sold the wrong person a bootleg jersey that had one of the one of the, the players' names wrong. Oh. And the guy didn't notice that the players it was like he bought like a Michael Jordan, let's just say for example, yeah. jersey, but it was spelled like Michael uh Jordan, you know, Michelle Jordan. Jordan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the guy that bought it didn't realize it until everyone in the office started making fun of him. Oh, no. He was wearing the jersey, and man, oh, he beat that dude, beat that guy's ass. Um, wow. So, those, that was one of the couple of the, the memorable fights. That's what in a the real office. life consequence. Like, he could, he didn't want to return to Jersey. He also had to return some hands on this man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Cause he, everyone was cracking on him in the office, and he was just like not having it. Oh my goodness. I cannot imagine. This is so wild. And like seeing the, like even what you have in the documentary, I was like, what the hell? But I love that it's like the the punishment is like, oh, you beat up the manager. Just walk it off. Come back tomorrow. Don't beat him up again. Oh yeah. (laughs) No, totally. Like you really could do if, as long as you were selling and it was like 200 bucks an hour on average, they wanted you to Mm -hmm. get in donations. If you could hit those numbers, you were good. It didn't matter if you were doing heroin in the office or whatever the heck you were doing, you were good. As long as you're making them phone calls. Crack. Yep, exactly. Okay, it makes you work faster, okay? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> okay, who can sell? Crack, people on crack and sell things. Yeah. Very well. Okay, so um, the call centers were so crazy, and we have a video from your documentary that one CDG employee, uh, Sam Lippenstern, yes, and Pat, uh, your friend Pat Pespas. Am I saying his last name correctly? Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Yeah. So Pat was a friend and coworker and co-star in your documentary. Pat cracked me up. Like, he was cracking me up. <laughs> so um, they recorded, you guys recorded antics and posted the videos to YouTube. One story emerged from the documentary was your friendship with Pat for over 20 years that you worked on this documentary, Telemarketers. Like, can you describe your relationship during this documentary with Pat? Because, like, I watched the documentary. You guys seem very close. And Pat is obviously, like, an eccentric guy. But he also, like, had, like, a lot of passion and a lot of, like, insight into this world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I first met Pat. Um, when I first met Pat, I remember he walked up to me in the office and he's like, hey, hey, hey uh, Hamilton Stern, can I bum a schmog? <laughs> he thought my name was Hamilton Stern for some reason. And he's like, can I bum a schmog? I'm like, what's a schmog? He's like, a cigarette. Can I bum a cigarette? I'm like, hey, sorry, I don't smoke. I'm like, and my name's Littman Stern. And he goes, oh, I thought your name was Hamilton Stern. Sorry. And we were just, and we were friends ever since. Um <laughs> But Pat is like Pat's an amazing person. He's one of my best friends. I consider him family. Um, 
you know, Pat was working at CDG and he was in his probably mid to late thirties at the time. And I was a teenager and <laughs> we just, be- it was just wild. <laughs> but we just became friends. You know, um, I was, I was filming in the office first with this, with a manager named big Ed rest mm. in peace, big Ed. And he was the one that encouraged me to bring in the camera. And we started just oh, filming that. all these antics in the office and Pat, uh, became the quick star. Like everyone knew Pat in the office. Everyone loved Pat. He loved being on camera. He was super charismatic. Yeah, so much. And energy. so, yeah, we just started filming Pat, and the idea went became first. It was let's just make videos for YouTube, which YouTube had just came out at that time. It was around two thousand five. Yeah, Janet Jackson invented YouTube. Yeah, everybody like wanted in, to but, see the titty pop out again, and, and that's what oh, YouTube I do remember that. Now. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so um, but then we were like, why don't we make a why don't we make a documentary about the a day in the life of a CDG caller featuring Pat as the most likable, interesting character? Um, and then I just started filming with Pat, and then Pat was the one that was like, "Hey man, there's some really we're we're involved in a scam. Yes, we have to let's not do a documentary about me. Let's do a documentary exposing this scam to the world." And and so, and I've been, you know, and, and that was uh, ended up being like a, you know, almost twenty year journey, right? And and I mean that's I think it's to stay dedicated to it for that long, and then the product just be so amazing from like all of your work and efforts. It's just uh, that kind of steadfast. Like I, I want that kind of perseverance because it turned out amazing. Like just, well, I hope it inspires thing. people out there just to finish your project. You know, yes. it's definitely a labor of love and and yeah blessed that it finally all came together after Sometimes all these crazy years yes <laughs> through all these antics oh my goodness <laughs> pat was killing me i love it oh, when yeah. we're like on road trips and pat would be like i, I gotta get out and like feed the alligators or like stare yeah. at a rainbow <laughs> and i was like yes <laughs> i need this energy <laughs> hi i'm cindy lopper my scalp was covered with psoriasis felt like i was trapped between a rock and a hard place then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. So many CDG employees, like we've talked about, um, are former convicts who were unable to find employment due to their record, um, which is why 
recidivism happens. We talked about that. So the call centers were notorious for a variety of criminal activity, which you also talked about, Sam. And according to several CDG employees, hiring former convicts was key because they know how to get money out of people and they're not going to say anything about suspicious activities. So they're not going to snitch. They also need a job, if, especially if you're like in a halfway house. Like You have to have employment, right? Yep, exactly. So it's like these are vulnerable people. So in your documentary, you highlighted how predatory the company was to former employees like yourself. In what ways like, did you, did they make people feel feel like they couldn't leave or like did you feel like any kind of weird pressures from the company to obviously to perform and sell a lot but anything else i mean yeah it was so it was a really it was a really high pressure sales job not all the time but when they need they it was like we had they had these numbers right basically Mm -hmm. these numbers that they thought a certain list should hit so let's say we're calling for the you know the the florida uh police officers association for example Mm -hmm. just as an example and we would call for you know police organizations all over the country but for some reason they thought all right that list needs to hit 250 dollars an hour well if if as a group the entire office was at 250 dollars an hour well then they just leave you alone you're cool but if they if you don't hit those numbers they would like freak out i mean there'd be people like managers throwing shit at the walls they were they'd be screaming they'd be it was a really high pressure screaming screaming yes Yes. cursing (laughs) screaming the whole thing and uh you know for me you know for for me as someone i was you know i was a teenager who just who needed yeah i was a kid who just needed a job to you know basically you know to pay for my life basically you know or like the you know going out to eat <laughs> and like things like that my pizza my graffiti <laughs> supplies that kind of stuff yeah, this is pretty um, so for, you know for me it wasn't like you know there was it was definitely you know there was some stress but for me i didn't take it super serious for other people that were in halfway houses you know i you know they would threaten well they would threaten people um basically with going back to jail because oh essentially God. you know you had you had people that were right out of the halfway house. Right. They would, they would, you know, they needed a job to stay, you know, for, you know, for their part of their parole or whatever. They'd be working at CDG. Well, if you're not going to hit those numbers, you know, we're going to tell your probation, your, your probation officer or your parole officer that you didn't come in today. Like something like that. Yeah. So you had, so you had guys that would come in there, right? And they would actually like, they'd call their parole officer. Hey, I'm in. And then they would just do whatever they wanted to. They would like pay off a manager and then they would just like sell drugs out of the office all day. This like that was, like that was one like option. Prison. This is like you're it basically was prison, like prison. It's jail. It's very jail. Oh, yeah, one one uh, caller um, and a friend of mine, ex Santino, the God, who's in episode one and two, mm-hmm. and he was a manager. You know, he got out. He, he did it uh, seven years for, uh, you know, for, for selling drugs. Mm-hmm. He gets out of prison. He's out of prison for like six days. He's in the halfway house. One of his friends from from jail tells him, "Hey, I'm, uh, I could get you a job at this company called CDG," and you know he gets a job in six days. So six days after prison, he's in CDG, and he said he was shocked how CDG was. He said it was crazier than being in prison. He's like, "I, I was like, what what happened to the world? Like since I've been out." <laughs> Is jail? I think we're all moving towards it, though. Like they're getting they're they looking at prison like they got some good stuff going on over there. We should employ that at Amazon. It, it, there was a lot of pressure, especially on people that were unfortunately caught up in the prison pipeline, yeah. because it's like, hey, you make these 
sales or you're going back to jail. That was basically it. Which is so wild and predatory, especially because these are the most vulnerable people coming out of prison. They clearly don't want to go back. And your boss is like, either you hit these numbers or you go have to hit the bricks. You got to hit D block. No, that's yeah. And that's Sabrina, really who was a manager, talked about that a little bit in episode one. Sabrina, who was a good yes, friend. And, yeah, she was and she was caught up in the you know prison pipeline as well. She she did, a, and she's open about it. Didn't make it in the documentary, but she did a, she was kind of a kingpin in her own right back in the day. And, and really, really good friend of mine, uh, but, but a legend. And, you know, she ended up in a, a drug rehab program. And okay. they said, look, you either... It, she basically had a choice that you either go to jail or you end up in a drug rehab program and work at CDG. And that was, wow. and so she decided she chose this rehab and CDG. Um, so that was her. And then she ended up being a manager there. So that was, you know, her story. Yeah, but there was, it was, it. This is the black woman, right? This yeah, black, yeah. 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 I remember her. Yep. She was, she was yep. a G. So She's yeah, great. I mean, Ugh, gosh, this is so awful, but it's also just so fucking fascinating. Jesus. So we get into CDC or CDG getting sued. So after some time, CDG began bending the rules. They were already massaging the rules, and now they're yes. bending them. And in 1998, the company was sued by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, for falsely claiming that they were actually cops and donations were going directly to resources such as bulletproof vests. <laughs> no, they did not. They said, we're going to get them some shields. The next time you see a riot, that gear, you, you pay for it. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, new baton, yeah, yeah. They beat them real good with this new baton. Yeah. You, they, you, they, you ain't seen a cop yeah. beat nobody with no old one, okay? Um, yeah, so th that's that's wild that they were like, oh, donate for bulletproof vests. They simply changed their business model to a con consultation mode where employees would claim that they were calling on behalf of organizations such as the Fraternal Order of Police. Um, and in 2007, the Department of Justice, this is for the, uh, obviously for the audience, Sam, you're like, I know all of this. So the <laughs> Department of Justice went after CDG again, claiming that the shift in the business model didn't actually mean that they changed anything, which obviously it didn't. Additionally, many CDG former trainers claimed that they were instructed by the company to tell people that they worked directly for FOP and that 100% of the organizations went to the donation, which we all know is lies. So at this point, were you, you weren't working there anymore. Or were you? So I, when they well, got yeah, to so I, I, was working there i didn't know that they were in the lawsuit when mm -hmm. i was working there so this was like um so basically what happened was in 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 the 90s they mm -hmm. were telling people that the callers would tell people some of them that they were cops right so you'd be mm -hmm. like hey how's it going you know officer uh you know bill balance yeah. i just got uh, shot can you send yeah, me some money <laughs> so yeah we're ba they're crap. basically you had callers who were you know you had callers who were saying that they were cops, mm -hmm. right? Then, and the money was going to go to Bulletproof Vest. <laughs> so goofy. Then what happened was the FTC uh, had their first lawsuit in 19... Right. The government uh, started their first lawsuit in 1998, and they said, you can't say the money's going to Bulletproof Vest when it actually isn't. You can't say that you're a cop. <laughs> and if someone <laughs> asks you what... Things. Yeah, normal things. Uh, and if if the donor asks you what percentage of your of their donation goes to the police or to the organization, by law you have to tell them. Now, if they if the donor doesn't ask, you don't have to say anything. Only if they ask, you have to say it. So if somebody asked me, "Hey, uh, well, well, hey, oh, hey, Sam, what percentage of my donation goes to the police?" Well, I'd say I'd say 
Well, a very generous 10% of your donation goes to the police. <laughs> a very and generous usually, 10%. Yeah, so you'd have to spin it. As much as Jesus it, wanted. You, exactly. <laughs> and, but usually people would hang up, you know, mm. because they're like, wait, only 10%, which is really low. Like charity yeah. experts recommend that it's 70% goes to the organization and 30% at the minimum is, is, is used for uh, expenses. Right. We were doing 90-10. So the FTC, so, so then what happened was, you know, civic development group. Yeah. Um, and, and the biggest police organization in the United mm-hmm. States, the Fraternal Order of Police, said, how do we get around? We're losing all this money when people ask us what percentage of their donation goes to the organization. We're losing all this money. And when we would also say, we're, we're, hi, this is Sam, I'm calling on behalf. I couldn't say, hi, this is Officer Litmanstern anymore. <laughs> I'd say, hi, I'm calling on behalf of the Fraternal Order of Police. Now, they were, making, they were making tons of money. They just got greedy and they said, how do we change it so that we can say that, we, that, that how can we change it so we can say 100% of the donation goes directly to the organization? Without actually And that <laughs> we are from the police, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's how they came up with this crazy consultant model. And they, what we started doing was we would say, you know, hi, this is uh, Sam Lipman Stern from the New Jersey Fraternal Order of Police. Okay, well, and then the do- donor would say, well, how much of my donation goes to the police? Oh, I got to let you know that I'm very proud to say 100% of your generous donation goes directly to the Fraternal Order of Police. Now, how were you able and, to say you were from there? It's like, oh, no, I'm from FOP. I live around there. Like, what's the hell? How would we work that around? They thought that they had found a legal loophole where essentially um, the the police organizations hired the callers rather than so the mm. callers. It was just all legal wording right. bullshit, right? It's just a, a small change in the contract. The contract made it so that the Fraternal Order of Police was hiring the callers so that we, the callers, you know, the graffiti writers, bank robbers, all <laughs> right. of us wild motherfuckers are, are working for the police. We're not working for a telemarketing company anymore, but on paper. But it was exactly this. Nothing had changed they other than come the, through and give you the new language. No, uh, well, yeah, they well, actually. Yeah, they actually changed the script and everything. Um, and they put a call, uh, they would put a member of the police in the office. So that was pretty crazy. What? Yeah, that's wild. Hi, I'm Lacey Mosley. I'm calling, um, I'm a homegirl of the FOP. Uh, FOP is my yeah. baby daddy. And I need money. <laughs> now, they didn't, they didn't do that in my office. They did it in my office for the Cancer Fund of America. Oh, no. So, we, in, in, so in addition to... Yeah, in addition to these major police unions that we'd call on behalf of, we'd also call on behalf of firefighters groups and charities, cancer mm-hmm. organizations, charities, uh, veterans, and like can- children's cancer. So like these causes that really uh, pulled Tug on the heartstrings. Heart yeah. Now that's another level of the scam was that we would call on behalf of sound-alike charities. So it was, they would, you know, not the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is amazing. We would call on <laughs> like- behalf of like, the Children's Wish Association. Right. For the children's got a wish. Wish of the child. Yeah, no, we're with um make wishes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So 
it was it was wild. So it was a they thought this was a legal loophole, and they did it, and they raised hundreds of millions of dollars That's over wild. over a hundred millions of dollars, uh, over a hundred million dollars, and then um, the government did some kind of investigation. And they took yep, CDG down. Yep. And they were calling for Susan L. Coleman instead of Susan G. Coleman. <laughs> like, no. Basically, no. that was the, yeah, that was the system. <laughs> we raced it for cures, multiple cures. <laughs> okay. It's, it's different, but it's exactly. the same. It's the same. Exactly. We didn't auto cures. So in 2010, exactly. the FTC ordered CDG to get out of the fundraising business and pay $19 million in fines, the largest consumer protection fine in FTC history. I always wonder where those fines go because it's like, is it going to the government? Because it should actually go to who the, you know, CDG was impersonating. But I always feel like these fines, I'm like, where the fines going? Who getting them? Where'd it go? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. That's a good question. I mean, I think. Can they go back to the I don't, people who no, donated? Like, it, it definitely did not go back to any of the people <laughs> that donated. Uh, and you're right. Where did that money go? I yeah, don't know. the government just deboed you. They just robbed you. Yeah. Like, that's all. They <laughs> exactly. ran into your house and took your shit. Like, we wanted to get that money. Right. And then, yeah. Where does it go? That's like when they put the drugs yeah. on the table and it's like, bro, we know you raided the house and y'all put tons of cash in your pocket because it's unaccounted for it. But you can oh, put totally. these bricks of cocaine on totally. here. Like, come on now. Y'all thirsty. So, um, However, no criminal charges were filed, and CDG's shutdown was temporary. Mark Kieser and Stephen Pash were forced to liquidate their assets, including two mansions, original Van Goghs, original Picassos, a million-dollar guitar collection. Damn, it was even more than what you yeah. think. A million dollars. Um, three Mercedes, two Bentleys, a Range Rover, an Escalade, and $250,000 in fine wine. Yeah. <laughs> they got the, be the best Banded. grapes. They made they out like Lucy, Lucy Ball stepped on these grapes, okay? These are the best, yeah. <laughs> okay? Oh, yeah. Only only the best for our gullet. No! <laughs> so a month after CDG shut down, Mark Keyser opened a new company, Residential Programs, Inc., RPI. I love that it's always yeah. three letters. That sounds so yep. official. There's so, so he, many of them, too. Yeah, it's And crazy. he continues to make calls on the same, like, behalf of the FOP. They just, like, shut down shop and then opened up shop again. So the ensuing media and news coverage, much of the narrative maintained that CDG was the true culprit, while the FOP and the donors were the victims, which we know, not true. So in reality, yep. there were at least several FOPs that were aware of the donation model and schemed to benefit the relationships with the telemarketing firm. So after CDG was shut down, other companies beyond RPI took the model and ran with it, paving the way for cops such as Robert Lozano to start their own telemarketing programs. So wait, Sam, how did it make you feel knowing that even though CDG was shut down, it could pop right back up? Like, <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it was wild because, I mean, my friends were like, you know, the CDG got shut down. Uh, so the the owners on paper were were Scott Pash and David Keezer. These were two, and, and, and all the and their brothers. They were like two groups of brothers that made the company, right? Mm -hmm. But the CEOs were Scott Pash and David Keezer, two of the brothers. Now, though, one of them had the rock bands, you know. Yes. Now <laughs> they those two got banned for life. From, from telemarketing right they can, you can't pick up a phone, a phone you got a text for the rest of your life you can't call nobody for the rest of your life now so so <laughs> a couple so then a month later or so um uh mark keezer's mark uh, sorry sorry david keezer's brother mm -hmm. mark keezer um opens up rpi, RPI yeah because he wasn't banned for life oh because he was like he was like oh he worked it. there he was making money but he wasn't the one who was banned he, he wasn't the ceo you know on paper 
my gosh. So they just they just start they just did the same model, new business, you know, same list, same callers, everything the same. But they did what they did was, like in the sixties when you commit a crime, you just move ten miles over and then start started. Yeah, life. I mean that was basically what they did. Yeah, you move one town over and you a new person. Yeah, <laughs> we a new business. We RPI now. I love exactly. that. So Robert Lozano um, and the culpability of FOP. So Robert was the president of the Houston Metro Fraternal Order of Police Lodge ninety eight until twenty nineteen. In addition to being a part of the FOP, he looked like a cop, but he also don't look like he can run fast. Like what? what you can't chase nobody on bad boy. It's like, bro, you gotta. He could barely outrun us when we went when we rolled up on him. <laughs> you pulled up on him. He's like power walking away. Yeah, he power walked. A slow power walk, but he made it. There's nothing worse than a slow power walk for a criminal. Like you got to be in good no. shape if you're doing crime. You got to be able to run. Okay. I'm in full police uniform. <laughs> like what? How can you stop crime if you, you can't make it through the know. crime? You're right. Like hold on. Uh, put your hands in the air. Hold on, hold on. I'm coming. Like, no, no, sir. So, um, uh, in addition to being a part of the FOP, he was also the president of a fundraising company, RG Benefits Inc. I love they love the the letters. You know, that yep. really just solidifies a company here. <laughs> so they that solicited money for the FOP programs to help needy kids. What what constitutes needy, and who are these kids? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Kids in need of what? Food? <laughs> shelter? Books? Pens? Lisa Frank? Uh, phones? Good question. What are they Who in are need the... of? Needy is so good, vague. Yeah. Medicine? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah. They said, look, let's just Who knows? Don't worry about it. <laughs> just, Help them what they, they need. They need something. They need some, something. <laughs> are you going to give them needs or what? <laughs> give them some needs. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so RG Benefits contract with the FOP determined that it kept 75% of the donations and the rest went to the general FOP. So, however, none of that money was earmarked for anything donors were told it was going to. The kids still needing. They never gave nothing to them. Not only were the donations going directly to Robert's company, but as the president of the FOP, he had direct access to the general funds. So they, so it's just going to his pocket. He's just pulling yeah. it out like his own personal bank. Basically, yeah, yeah. Wow, you know what? They yeah, he took all of it. He took all of it. So he, yeah, he was getting his, he was getting his 75% or whatever. Now, then he was, so he, yeah, he's, he has, he owns the telemarketing company. He's yeah. the president of the, of the, you know, Houston Metro Fraternal Order of Police. He bled his, the bank account dry from the Fraternal Order of Police. I think he took over $200,000. Wow. Then he's getting his big cut from the telemarketing. Now, one thing that we didn't show is a little exclusive for, Ooh. The podcast, but we interviewed, uh, and it didn't make it in there for time, but we interviewed the current president of the Houston Metro mm -hmm. Fraternal Order of Police, and he told us that they were cooking meth in, 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 in Officer Robert Lozano's office. <laughs> cooking and smoking meth. This is in Texas, so... It wasn't crack or heroin. I'm from Texas. Oh wow. But, okay. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. Meth is a Texas. highly dangerous thing to be cooking. It can explode. Like, what if the office exploded? Like, y'all doing a Breaking Bad? Like, <laughs> it was basically break Breaking Bad in uh, Officer Lozano's uh, <laughs> office, according to the new president. This Officer Lozano office always smells so weird, don't it? <laughs> <laughs> they were just cooking and smoking meth in there. I mean, it's like. Um, and he's still a cop. That's the that's the thing that's crazy. Like, 
He's still a cop. Yes. They did. He's. They got fired. He got kicked out of the FOP because I think he took it too far. He bl- yeah. he took a. You know, he didn't give the powers that be their cut. He took. You know, he he took two hundred thousand dollars for himself and uh, got kicked <laughs> out of the FOP. But he's still a cop. Robert he's, he's said, a "I'm cop. a kid at heart, and I have needs." <laughs> he took yeah. all that money. No, and he's still a cop. That's what's so wild to me because uh, essentially. The office that you described of CDG kind of reminds me of the police. It's just like a bunch of fucking criminals who are hanging out and some of, you know, they all got their little scams that they run in. And then just like when one of them got in the fight and beat the manager's ass up real bad, they like, oh, walk it off. Come back tomorrow. Like, what? Why are you not fired? (laughs) But this police officer, they're like, all right, you can't have a bank account no more because you were stealing too much, Rob. And stop cooking (laughs) meth in there before we get another explosion. What kind of slap on the wrist? Oh, no, it's crazy. I mean, he still has his telemarketing office. <laughs> These people have to Yeah, he's job. calling right now as we're having he's this interview. calling right now. But, you know, it's 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 really interesting. I mean, it, you know, again, it's... it's The one, you know, we, we'll probably go into it in a second, but, like, the fact that the police haven't been held accountable in this, mm-hmm. you know, 50-plus year scam is that's the part that is mind-blowing to me. Because the and, like, who gonna check me, boo? Like, I'm the law. So... Yeah, and well, the government has nothing... They, you know, they, they don't want to go against the cops either. And there, it's so funny because when... Right now, we're in a time, at least when we're recording this, that I'm on... My union's on strike. And, um... The police union is one of the strongest fuck. I would say it's the strongest union in the world. Absolutely, um, they they get to do murders and then just do desk work the next day. Like, and it's like we're fighting for two percent of like you know billions of dollars from that's created from literally our souls. Um, and so it's like we. I want to kind of look at the union books for the police because like I think every union should be as strong as the police. <laughs> Like, we got to do yeah. something. Like, <laughs> fuck the police, but I need to see our books or something. Like, let me see how y'all did this, because this union is strong as hell. <laughs> they, yeah. No well, consequences. They, so many I mean, they, well, I guess, you know, we got to get the, you know, the writers unions and all the unions yeah. calling citizens around the country <laughs> to raise billions of dollars and then go take that money to the lobbyists. Let's start a call center. What do we call yeah. it? We need, we just let's need three go. letters. Three letters. Yes. <laughs> we got it. Yeah. I mean, SAG and WGA are already three letters, but we need something like punchier, like RPI, yeah, like totally. Q. No, I like Q. You like Q? Okay, Q. I do. Okay, I feel like it's got to be like a R, like Q, but no Q P T. No, mm, I want it to end in an I. We got, we got to work through the C. QCI. I don't QCI. Know. QCI. Oh my God, I would give all my money to QCI. Yes. We can figure out what it stands for later. Yeah, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. As long as you have those three letters, you're good. Minor details, just like the the composer. I don't need to know what movie we compose. We just go start composing. Let's go. Minor details. Let's go. QCI. I love it. So in 2019, bank statements are uncovered when the new FOP president came on, showing thousands of dollars spent on FOP unrelated expenses, including um, $1,900 on a Caribbean cruise. Not the Carnival cruise. It's not you eating Guy Fieri burgers on, on the police dime. And then yep. $224 in charges at beach bars in Cozumel and Belize. $769 in movie tabs in Houston. Damn, you was a cinephile like a motherfucker. $769. <laughs> and 
$1,600 on Houston Rockets tickets fund. So the account, which should have had tens of thousands of dollars, would bled dry to a negative balance of $18, just like you said, Sam, but not you going in the negative. Like, you really took yeah. it too far. You yeah, yeah. He, could, he couldn't leave it at five bucks. He took it. He went also, under. why are you not pulling out cash? You're swiping the FOP card. <laughs> Yeah, you have no shame. So Robert has since claimed that his company never raised funds for an FOP, that he has not uh, been charged with any crime. And his attorney claims that he's been cleared by the Harris County District Attorney's Office. Oh, I wonder why. And you even said that there was someone you interviewed who said that Robert's company called and was like, hey, we are the police. Yep. (laughs) We oh, sorry, my siren went off. Hello, it's (laughs) us police. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is so, you know, clearly lying. So though, uh, allegedly, so though not every FOP may have direct ties with telemarketing and firm soliciting donations, um... It, they all basically do the same thing. So during the pitches, most of the time, the script claimed that money was being sent to the needy kids. Man, I know the needy kids are pissed. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they ain't got a, a red cent from this shit. No, nothing. I'm sorry, needy kids. I'm sorry y'all still got knees because the adults are stealing. So, or yep. the families of fallen officers. And I know in your documentary, you guys interviewed a, an a officer who was shot in the line of duty, right? Who received yes. nothing. Yes. Yeah, which was uh, which was which was crazy. I mean, this guy, you know, he he was uh, Officer Mike Byrne in Chicago. I mean, he, you know, he was a member of the Fraternal Order of Police for years, and he actually was up until like two years ago. Um, he was trying to stop what was what seemed like it was going to be a mass shooting oh, by goodness. someone who was, uh, you know, yeah, had a gun in a crowded place, and uh, he was he was injured in the line of duty. Officer Mike Byrne was called a hero by the mayor's office. The Fraternal Order of Police gave him this wonderful plaque. And then uh, they raised millions of dollars in, in Chicago, um, you know, for the for families of, of fallen and or injured officers and, and didn't give a dime to Mike Byrne. And so he, he sued uh, the telemarketing company and, and the um, Fraternal Order of Police on behalf of, like, I think it was 400 officers that were oh, injured. wow. Yeah. And did they win? Did they get some coins? They tried to push. They tried to drag out that lawsuit for a long time. Mike Burns said it was hope. They he thought it was they were hoping that he would die oh before it ended. Uh-uh, so they ended. Out. Yeah. So the 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 judge who also had received a ten thousand dollar donation from the FOP <laughs> ruled that the. <laughs> Fraternal Order of Police was not responsible. Oh, my and the tel- it was the telemarketing company's fault. They ended up winning against the telemarketing company after 20 years of pushing the case back and back and back. But the, the telemarketing company was gone by the time they won. So then who's going to pay them? That's it. They, yeah, nothing. they had closed They don't up get shop. nothing. Yep. And moved 10 miles down the road and started a new yep. life. Damn. That, see, stuff like that, like, I love a scam, but stuff like that really pisses me off. Because it's like, you could have just gave them a little cut. You're being so greedy. Like, just get, like, you gave the man a plaque. Like, bitch, I can't pay my rent <laughs> with a plaque. Okay, yeah. he don't want a plaque this month. Like, give me some uh, no. fucking money. Especially because he saved people's lives. Like, that pisses me off. Um, I was pissed on that. And Pat got a whole new, like, Pat loves. Mike Byrne got a whole new inspiration after meeting him. He was oh, like, wow. we got to do this for Mike Byrne, like finish this thing. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I liked him in the documentary and I really felt bad that he got scams like that, especially because he put his life on the line to save a lot of other people. Not to go in too much, but like the police, 
All right. So the, the Fraternal Order of Police hasn't said anything. They haven't responded to the documentary publicly. You know, I want to start. Why don't we have police officers that are out there, you know, standing up? You know, you talked about like the thin blue line or whatever. It's like that's what's keeping this whole thing for the culture in the United States. Bad it's like you is can't that be a good clans member. Like, no, he's the best clans member. He remember everybody's birthday. And, you know, he always got like, start, like, no, I'm like, when you work for a bad organization, it's just like you become a part of it. And I feel bad for the people who get involved thinking they're going to change it from the inside or who want to help people. Because then when they call out shit that's going on, like, you know, there's a chance you might get murdered. It's happened. Like, Mike Byrne got, was getting calls all the time from people when he was started this lawsuit like you're going against your own like real threatening him all that stuff so yeah he experienced it firsthand and it's like you know it really is a gang like despite cdg having shut down for over a decade telemarketing is still alive and thriving today and now benefiting from the use of ai which is obviously something that we're fighting in our unions you know y'all can't scan our background actors bodies and use them in perpetuity for a hundred dollars like please be serious and for real but it also is with ai because they they can do AI to our voices so easily. And it's so funny to me that most of the first things that I saw with AI, um, as far as like celebrity culture, were a fucking black people. They was making Drake and the Weeknd songs. Levi's was like, oh, we're going to have more representation. We got AI niggas. What is happening? They are really trying to replace us. Yeah, first. yeah. And, that's <laughs> up. Give people work. Like, give people, support people. Right. Like, what yeah, do you think representation <laughs> that you made an AI black person with six fingers? What are you doing? Yeah, that's actually really, I, I, yeah, that's messed up. That's really messed up. So, I've talked about it before, but it's just like with AI with voices, your whole speech could be recorded and then yeah. they don't need you. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know how you do AI with sales because if the person responds, like it's always like sales is something you have to be like charismatic. Like Pat had that energy that really like, you know, ropes you in and made you talk to him. You have that energy. You're so chill and easy to talk to. So I'm like, how do you replicate that with AI? You know, we see it in episode three, but we got a call from one of our friends who had passed away. His yes. ghost is calling right now from beyond the grave. They Y'all recorded his voice. I'm dead. No. You know, the, the one good thing about this industry, in my opinion, is, and we never wanted to demonize the callers, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the callers were just, including myself, just people that were maybe down in their, lo- their luck right. or in the in the prison pipeline or people with a felony because they couldn't Vulnerable. get other work. Yeah, we're not demonizing. People that just were trying to get jobs. And actually... I didn't even know it was a scam. I didn't. I just thought it was how cops raised their money right. until we started the investigation. And other people thought the same thing. You know, these are people that were just trying to make ten bucks an hour, make ends meet. Um, now where we're at in, in 2023 is with this AI and the robocalls. Is you're starting to take away the one positive thing about this industry, which is giving people jobs. With the robocalls and AI, you're taking those jobs away. And so, what do you have less? What do you have left? You have, you know, just shady police unions, shady charities and businessmen and a bunch of, you know, fucking AI and robocalls, which is where it's heading to. Yeah. And that's, you know, you're, 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 you're at that point, you don't have anything positive about this crazy industry that we exposed in the documentary. And I have some friends that are still in the industry all these years oh, wow. later on making the calls. And I want to give you a little like, behind the scenes info that Sam and Pat memes have been banned from the telemarketing chats. You cannot bring (laughs) up my friends have sent me screenshots. The managers have banned because everyone loves us. All the callers, (laughs) they're they're posting Sam and Pat me and we're banned. You cannot mention me or Pat 
at the uh, call center. In the telemarketing <laughs> call center, yeah. I love I that. Love. I love Which that. I love. So we better not see that shit in the Slack. Don't you do No, like, no, no, exactly. Movies. We're banned from the Slack. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for you. But wrapping this up, so telemarketing today, you pretty much just hit everything. Um, but so they mar- the telemarketing firms have moved beyond charities and nonprofits into the world of political action committees. Yes. So now they're using politics, which is such a smart move for a scam because politicians, oh, yeah. the, one thing they love is money. It's so funny to me when they come in with that story. It's like, I, I was rubbing two cans together before I got into Congress. And then they all leave millionaires. It's like, how you get that money? <laughs> what happened to them two cans? I've always thought <laughs> like, the same thing. <laughs> How you get that money, honey? What's, what's going yeah. on? We know what your salary is. They post it online. It ain't it ain't millions. Uh, yep. Like, no, we'll tell them about COVID after we sell our stocks. <laughs> and then, like, <laughs> what? Oh, my goodness. So they move into the political action committees. PACs is so smart. So it's likely the PACs will face even fewer regulations because politicians on every side stand to benefit from them in the same way that the FOP benefited from the firms. So a handful of politicians have put forward recommendations to address scam PACs and other telemarketing schemes, but no agency has taken any action. These firms continue to function more more or less unhindered by new legislation. And I know one of those politicians um, that put forward the recommendation was Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut. And at the end of episode three in the documentary, you talked to him on Capitol Hill. And he seemed kind of dismissive. Like, do you guys think sometimes, like, did you think, like, something like this would come out of the success of your documentary? Like, do you think, like, this pressure is why he's, like, actually doing Oh, yeah. No, it 100% is. So, basically... You know, Rich, we we interviewed Richard Blumenthal, which I, you know, he was. The, we we reached out to a lot of senators and a lot of uh, you know congressmen and government officials. Pat's dream was to testify in front of Congress, and we were hoping that we could get a congressional hearing on the subject matter. Um, Richard Blumenthal, you know, was was you know generous enough to give us you know uh, right. an interview with him and to to, to test you know to, to present information about the subject and evidence. Now, we were supposed to get an hour. That's what his staff told us. We got seven minutes with him. Wow. Uh, what you see in episode three is basically, it's almost unedited. You know, he gave us seven minutes. Uh, Pat, I think, shined in that, you know, you get this, he really came prepared. Uh, so he, he had his evidence. Yeah, he, he, he rocked it. And then um, Blumenthal said that his staff would meet with mm-hmm. us right after the interview. And he left. After seven minutes and his staff came back in and said, hey, you guys ready to pack up? And they didn't give us any time to speak to the, um, you know, to speak to them about the, the situation. So we followed up with like 80 pages of evidence right. and we did. We heard radio silence, so we didn't hear anything. So then the documentary dropped <laughs> on that ass. <laughs> on that ass. And uh, he did an interview with the kinetic with a Connecticut newspaper saying that. You know, there was a misunderstanding mm. and he was a little bit off put by Pat's untraditional interview style, specifically taking his sunglasses off in a dramatic like fashion <laughs> before the interview. <laughs> it was hilarious that he said that. <laughs> but, you know, the one thing that I was a little bit disappointed in personally was that the senator didn't mention or didn't speak to the police union's involvement mm. in this scam. And in my opinion, that's what keeps this industry going is the po- major police unions involvement. And until you take until you, you they are held accountable for what they've been doing, I don't think, you know, I think this you know could keep going on for a long time. Like, so, you know, I, I want to see the 
fraternal order of police held accountable by politicians. And, you know, and, and because they're the only legitimate, they're le- quote unquote legitimate right. police organizations, not just legitimate, the biggest police organizations in the world. And they're wrapped up in hand in hand in this scam. And then you have all these other scam um, veterans, firefighters, children's cancer. And, and now they're doing autism packs now. Oh, my goodness. Which is such a, like, a QAnon dog whistle. I just want to ask you, Sam, like, do you have any final thoughts or anything that you didn't say about this or your experience? Anything you wouldn't want to share? Well, for, for anybody out there, like, um, you can you can look up these calls online. I mean, they're happening as we're doing this call, as, as we're doing this uh, podcast. You can find calls online. Uh, people... If you search no more no mo robo, it's a website that actually <laughs> no more uh, robo. Okay. Yeah, and I'm a total nerd on this subject. So like I love this shit. But if you search like police no mo robo on Google, you can there's a uh, an app that catches these calls. Oh. So you can see the different organizations that are calling right now um online and, and listen to the calls and and it's pretty interesting. Um uh, another thing is just uh, check out some of these organizations that we used to call for the cancer fund of america was one of our biggest clients and they were on there was an american greed uh just about the cancer fund of america this was a family they had a bunch of a family who had a bunch of uh cancer charities and it was a total scam it was a you know they're a big scam there's uh we're gonna have to look into the cancer fund of america yeah it's a good that's a good little rabbit hole uh bobby thompson and I think it was called the uh, the Navy Veterans Association. This was a guy that was uh, a total con man who was doing like 30 different identities, has pictures. He got all the way up to, to having pictures of George Bush and working. Oh my and, goodness. And, and it was a total scam. He's in prison right now and said he was like a CIA operative. Like that's a whole other rabbit hole to I go down. I might have talked about him. Yeah. I think yeah, I talked so, about him. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, he would use, uh, you know, he would use uh, telemarketing companies like CDG and, oh. and some of some of the callers that we interviewed would were, were calling on behalf of, of his organization. Um, but yeah, if you get a phone call, you know, for one of these charities, you know, you can mess around with them, find, get some information. Hey, what percentage <laughs> goes or something like that. But just, you know, really, you should just hang up. Don't give over the phone. And Americans are very generous. There's a lot are of great we? charities out there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if they, um, I think do your research, do your due diligence. Yeah. And, you know, one of our goals was to try to tell this story so that the money starts going to, to the, the right, right places. Because yeah. we're talking about billions of dollars when you really look back. I mean... We found out this scam goes back to like the invention of the telephone. Damn. So we're talking about a long time and a lot of money that just was like poof, gone. And um, you know, if we could, if if this could be um, regulated or, or stopped, and we could, you know, the money could start going to the right place. So, and also never demonize the telemarketers. We're, you know, just no, in my opinion, never. We don't punch down. We only punch yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And- just. 
I think you're amazing. I think you're such a genius. Like seriously, like, you're, the way your brain works, you're very brilliant, and it's been so lovely to talk to you. And I, I, I agree. Like we can, we can get the money to the right place because there are a lot of great. I know I'm a cynic on the show a lot, but there are a lot of great charities that are actually helping people, and it is so devastating to know that this money was going to like you know Houston Rockets games and and and, and you know Cozumel uh, margaritas and shit. <laughs> like when it should be going to the actual people who need it. Yeah. So you know, I think that that's a really great point, and that we sh- we all have to do our research, man. And, like, it's so hard to, like, actually have media literacy. And a lot of times people aren't taught media literacy. So they will, like, get their news from media takeout or from, like, a random post on Twitter. You can post a photo of someone and put a headline caption on it and people will believe it's real. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a whole other, whole other wild. <laughs> so, yeah, subject. look into the charity. I totally agree. And, um, no, that, you're a genius as well, and I appreciate that kind, those your kind words. And I'm always, uh, if you ever need anything at all in this realm, this wild realm that I've, you know, been researching, yes. you know, always happy to help. I, I, I it was really a appreciate total it. honor being on the show, a, bl- a blessing. Sam, we always ask at the end of the show, like, where would you like to be found? Anything you want people to see? Any social media handles? All of that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm, um, I'm at Sam underscore Lipman Stern on Instagram. On Twitter, I just made one after the show. I hadn't Welcome had one for a long time. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm uh, at Sam Lipman Stern as well. And uh, my website, samlipmanstern.com. And you can watch uh, telemarketers on on Mac and any, I think it's on Hulu and Amazon Prime, basically anywhere you can get uh, the HBO add-on. And I just want to thank you so much for having me. It was I real really fun this and was a thrill i'm a fan I'm of so the show so thank you. Oh, it went so well i was so nervous sam i'm so excited uh as usual guys if you want to see the crazy videos and everything um scam goddess pod um on all platforms and then if you want to follow me d-i-v-a-l-a-c-i diva lacy on all platforms congregation y'all oh my god <laughs> stay sammy yes sam yes scam goddess This has been an Earwolf production in association with Team Coco. Scam Goddess stars and is hosted by me, Lacey Mosley, a.k.a. Scam Goddess. Our producer is Judith Cargbo. Our production coordinator is Abby Aguilar. And our audio engineer is Sam Keeper. Research for the show is done by Caitlin Brandt. Stay scamming. Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis. Felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place. Then I started Cosentix. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe black psoriasis 300 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.